You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Ruth Barbara Rendell, Baroness Rendell of Baber, is a member of the House of Lords and the author of more than 60 novels, including more than 20 featuring Inspector Reginald Wexford. She also writes as Barbara Vine. Her newest novel is The Vault. Thank you for joining me, Ruth. It's very nice to be here and talking to you. Ruth, of the many writers I've read over all the years of my life, I don't think I've ever met anyone who seems to display a more nuanced, a more complicated and a clearer understanding of the human psyche than you. And I'm wondering if you train for that. If you're somewhere back there, you have a a PhD in psychiatry. I'm afraid I don't have a PhD in anything or anything like that. I am just, well, I'm interested in human beings. I'm interested in human nature. And I have read a lot of psychology. It really shows in your work. And, and one of the things I think that makes your work so interesting is not just your ability to understand it, but to convey that understanding in a prose. And you've done this through a variety of novels in a variety of ways, and you kind of approach it in two very different ways. And to the degree where you took on uh, Nom de Plume, uh, Barbara Vine, for I think some of your more nuanced novels. So talk about that kind of... Uh, how your understanding of how you wanted to talk about what humans really were developed as you wrote? Um, well, I'd been writing for a long time, uh, about 20 years before I um, decided to have a pseudonym and, and write as Barbara Vine. Barbara being my second Christian name and Vine the name of one of my great-grandmothers. Um, and uh, I felt that it, uh, it was time that I would write um, perhaps in greater depth of, of, of the way people think and act and take it back in time. Also to write these books, and I mostly have in the first person, and to uh, go back in time as much in one, in one of the Barbara Vines as 100 years, but usually perhaps 20 or 30 years back and examine people also examine social change which have been which has been quite extensive of course as one would uh, expect um, and uh, but still return from time to time to the Wexfords and those non-Wexfords which people call um, the psychologicals. Now one of the things that's so interesting about you is your ability to strike very different tones in all of your books. The Wexford books have a very uh, familiar and friendly feeling to them. We like Wexford. He's a normal fellow. He's got a great family, and, you know, they have some problems, but they're not beyond the anything that most of us might experience. In your novels of uh, psychological suspense, on the other hand, <laughs> your characters are seriously frightening. <clears throat> So I, I'd like you to just talk about, um, as a writer, do you write these? You have written quite a bit. You're very prolific. Do you find yourself immersed in Wexford and then going back to something like live flesh and then back to Wexford? I mean, that can't be easy. Well, I like the change. I like the contrast. I wanted in Wexford to um, create a, a, a normal, ordinary man. 
and a man who is has my views and opinions on most things. Not entirely, of course, that wouldn't be possible, but has my views. And um, I didn't want, so you know, so many detectives in um, in contemporary crime fiction um, have um, they drink too much. They 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 leave their wives, or their wives leave them, and they set up with some girl, and it doesn't work. And they're living in one room in misery, and uh, uh, um, and, and and again, and drinking too much again, and smoking too much, and probably using some unhealthy un, un substances. And um, and I thought, well, I'm not going to have somebody like that. I'm going to have an ordinary happily married man who has his temptations, but as far as we know, doesn't succumb to them. And then, of course, the Barbara Vines, which um, um, are, 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 as I've said, um, about um, um, people and in, in a changing climate of time, if you can uh, uh, put it like that, with, um, uh, uh, with, with their own problems and so on, but many of them depend on on um, the, the, the period in which they live and, and be, being described by a person, one, one character, writing in the first person or speaking in the first person. And then there are the psychologicals, who, which deal often with, a, nearly always, with a lot of characters in perhaps a constrained or confined setting, um, but um, are ordinary people and then there's one person who is a psychopath or somebody who is greatly disturbed, largely by having had a really dreadful childhood or a badly damaged uh, 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 childhood, and it, which which leads him ultimately to doing terrible things, largely through resentment of society and paranoia. You know, one of the things that I really like about your novels is that you do a great job in commenting on the kind of social changes that, you know, the world has seen over the last 50 or even 100 years. You do a great job of involving us in that and showing us the impact of huge social forces on the individuals. But you do so in a manner that's in a very engaging kind of uh, crime fiction story. And... I think that the, one of the things that uh, makes your writing so powerful is that the limitations that are imposed on a novel of psychological suspense, a procedural like Wexford, um, give you some kind of focus so that the plots are very engaging. We really turn the pages, yet you create compelling realistic characters who are at the, at the butt ends of some very bad changes. Well... Um, I'm very interested in social issues, and of course some of the Wexfords um, have a subplot that deals particularly with a social issue as Simisola with um, uh, uh, race prejudice, um, harm done with domestic violence, and so on. Um, I'm interested in that sort of thing, and therefore, if I am, Wexford is. Uh, and that, that's the way it works. And you, you've said you've studied some psychology to create some of your characters. And, of course, uh, uh, you've created some some of the most memorable, unpleasant characters that I'd never, ever want to meet in actuality <laughs> that I've ever read about. And, and now that's a really interesting uh, premise for a writer. That must be difficult, that you're going to write a story that's based around a character who is fairly terrifying, fairly unpleasant, has had a very unhappy character 
childhood, as you often. How do you do that and then write an engaging novel about that character? Well, of course, the answer to that is I don't know. How does one know? Um, I try to stand in the person's shoes. I have an idea of the kind of character I would want to have. And I try to stand in their shoes and say to myself, well, if you had had a mother like that, a father like that, perhaps never known who your father was, um, had no past history, no knowledge, you came and no balancing education or upbringing and, 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 and you were constantly exposed to horrible situations and unpleasant people and you were then put into this particular environment that you have set up. And how would you think about other people? How would you look at them? Would you be capable of loving anybody or would you be only capable of resenting and hating them? And then what would you do? And I think I proceed from there. And that is, I wouldn't say it's easy because I don't find writing easy. People think I must do because I write so much. But I, I find it quite hard. And I do try um, and keep trying. And trying to make such a person, as I've described, um, believable and also someone that a reader will feel some pity for as well as hatred of. You know, um, tell us a little bit, because you write so much, uh, how much time do you spend each day, and do you work on find yourself working on more than one book at once, or um, do you just, like, start one, go to the end, and finish it? Give us a little idea about uh, uh, Ruth Rendell's workday. The latter is more likely. I never write two books at once. Mm, okay. That would be dreadful, I think. It would be fatal. I, um, I start work about... 8.30 in the morning. I'm a very early riser, but I don't start work for about two hours after I've got up. And then I work until about 12 midday. I don't need to work more than that. And that that's fine. And But every day, provided nothing comes along, you know, if you are a self-employed person, there will always be something to intrude upon you, even if it's only somebody coming along to mend the boiler or... or, or um, um, deliver something or there's something that will disturb you but on the whole i do manage to work from 8:30 until midday um and then i don't write again that day but i might write at the weekend i might write for um half that time in the morning on a saturday and again half or more in the afternoon um and i might even work on a sunday in that way because it's a quiet time without interruptions and i rather like that now one of the things also that I think that makes your books uh, so powerful is your prose. And I'm wondering, you've been writing for a long time. Did it all, has it always uh, spilled, spilled off the tip of your pen like this or off of your word processor or typewriter? And, uh, or, or is this the result? Do you like write one whole book, then go back and, and revise it? Well, I do revise and I do rewrite a lot. But I, um, it's very important to me to write good prose. I mean, I hope I do. I try. Um, I read a lot. I read all the time. I mean, I really read and read and read. And I try to read good literature and study writing, um, not just grammatically, but with, with proper syntax and, and in, in proper sentences with verbs in them. Not, not a sentence, and this is um, a, a, a prevailing tendency today, I think, of too many sentences consisting of just one word. And I try to avoid that kind of thing. 
and avoid verbless sentences and um, elaborate uh, sentences with too many adjectives in and so on. And I always, which I think is very important for a writer, and I would advise any young writer to do this, to say, repeat in my head what I have written so that I can hear what mm-hmm. I have written. That's, I think, very important. Now, uh, I'm thinking that given as long as you've been writing, you have come through... Uh, you're one of the writers who's come through a, an era of complete technological change that I, I think has really affected the way uh, the basics of composition. I, when you started, the best you could hope for, I'm guessing, would be a typewriter or a pen. Oh, yeah, a typewriter. Typewriter. Sure. And you had mm. to type your novel out and then revise it that way. Now, Very nasty it was, too, using lots of, of, of white-out tipex and, and carbons <laughs> and all the horrible... <laughs> Um, I use a computer, and I like technology. And, and so do you think that the uh, in the um, introduction of the computer has changed your writing style in terms of... I don't of think so. I hope not. Um, it, it, it's made it... I don't think easier, but it's made it much pleasanter. I, oh. like, I like it. I, I do like to feel that I can delete so easily and... Um, uh, and get a good sentence without having to blot out everything and rewrite it and so on. And so that I get a nice... Well, I don't get a manuscript because I, I never get a manuscript until it comes back to me for maybe some changes. It, it goes by email to my agent. And I like that. I'm, I'm, I like technology. I like to find what... It, I find it quite adventurous to learn how to do a new... maybe some new procedure and to do it. And it's... It, it, um, it's a nice advance, I think. One of the things that we've seen um, in in your books that that I think is really interesting is there's a character who's not a character, and that is uh, especially in your novels of psychological suspense. That is a malign chance. There's a, <laughs> this feeling that there's somebody, something out there making things just go wrong in just the right way. And I really love that, <laughs> your sensibility about that. Yes, well, I do do that. And uh, 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 there is also this, this this sort of contingency thing. Um, I, um, I will, will put, well, put before people a choice. Um, it, it's rather like that film uh, of Sliding Doors. Um, it, it may be that, that you, you, you can take this road or you can take that. You, you can do, and, and it, it may affect your whole life, of course. And that is something that interests me very much, and I do employ it quite a bit. Have you experienced that? Do you, do you look back on your career as a writer and say, at this point, I could have done this, I could have done that? How, how much of this kind of uh, vision of chance comes out of your own experience of your own life? I believe that everything it depends on chance and it doesn't depend on fate or destiny. But I don't... Also, I try not to have regrets. Mm-hmm. I think regrets are very destructive of one's life and one's relationships with other people and so on. I, um, I, I, I don't let myself have them insofar as I can prevent this happening, which is to a good, great extent I can. So, yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't look back much. I don't look forward much. I try to live in the present. And if I find myself regretting, I put a stop on it. It's, it's, 
if I can. It, it's, it's not a good idea. It, it's, it's of no value whatever. It, it's of no benefit. So, um, no, don't do that. But I think that you're, one of the things that, as you say that, I think your characters often do find themselves trapped by regret. And, oh, they do, and, and, and but, that's one of the most. That's one of the great plot drivers that you use. Is is you use these kind of twisted emotions rather than car chases or guns or any of that other stuff. <laughs> you got twisted emotions and regret and sorrow and and desire that will never be fulfilled to pull your characters along. Well, I do use that. I know that people are like that, but I don't think that I have much of that. Well, I don't know if I have much of that myself, but I try to stop it. I try to inhibit it for myself, but not for my characters, of course. That's another matter. They have it. I know they have it, and I will use it um, for their benefit or not, as it as it may be. When you're writing something, and um, uh, let, let's uh, get to this closer to the matter at hand, like uh, your 1999 novel, A Sight for Sore Eyes, which is this wonderfully, wonderfully <laughs> destructive, scary horror novel. Um, do you find that the characters start to run away from you, that you set up somebody some way and you think, well, I, I kind of have an idea of what's going to happen to this character, and they say, oh, no, 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 I'm much worse than you ever imagined. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, all writers have that, I think, that the, the escaping character. Um, you have to watch it and because, of course, we should control our characters if we can. But sometimes it may be for the better that that person will develop in a way that is more productive, more interesting. Um, and then I think I should, I should let that person go. Um, I think, for instance, that... Um, the, the the characters in the vault, of course, this this new novel of mine, um, they, they do that. They, they, there are there are some people in it that, are, that had a, a very small part in my original idea for the book. And then, as I wrote about them, I liked them, and they began to sort of gallop away and do their own thing. And I think that was a a, a good thing. If it hadn't been, I hope I would have noticed in time and pulled them back again. Well, it's uh, oh, I, I I have an idea of who you're talking about, and and, and I don't want to reveal that, but I think that <laughs> it's it's really enjoyable to to see that happen on the page. As readers, we can kind of sense that when the characters have just gone up and run away from the writer. Now, I'm wondering when you started, say, uh, either the vault or a sight for sore eyes, because they're kind of uh, twin sides of a different sides of the same coin. <laughs> um, do you have how much of a, an idea of the plot do you have the overall plot arc and how much of it is just I have a couple characters who I want to like throw in my uh, my blender here and put it on puree and see what happens to them. Well, I had an idea, but usually I have an idea for the start. Mm -hmm. You see, the beginning of a novel, or maybe up until halfway through, but then I let. The characters acted out. I let them take over and do what I hope would be a natural and real way to behave in life. Um, and and so I don't have a rigid. I mean, I make no charts or 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 or, or uh, columns or plans or anything like that. I just um, let them go their way. And usually it works. And I hope uh, imparts a, a, a realism. To, to the novel, uh, you know. I hope. How can I tell? I can't. I can only hope and think. Yes, it will work out this way. 
You know, also, too, your novels have some incredible landscapes in them. And uh, the, the vault is like a walking tour of London. I'm wondering if you found yourself on a walking tour of London to, uh, to, to create the novel. Well, if I were to say to you that every week in London I'm on a walking tour to somewhere or other, I walk a lot. And I am a Londoner, and I, I love London. So describing it, I've described London in so many of my books, Barbara Vines and the Ruth Reynolds, that um, I could take Wexford on that tour without even going there again. I know it so well. I probably would go there again to check up on things. But, but I'm always walking in London. And uh, so I thought that it would be nice for him to do that too because he likes London, he loves it. And he's beginning to learn about it. Now, uh, you know, I want to kind of reach back into your career because one of my favorite books, almost of all time that I've ever read because I can just go back there and live in that world, is your second Barbara Vine novel, A Fatal Inversion. And that really creates, for me, both a place and a time and a landscape just so perfectly and beautifully. And it's just rich with you know, the psyche of these characters that you throw into this uh, kind of almost wilderness uh, 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 backcountry uh, estate. So I, I'd like you to just talk about, um, in the Barbara Vine novels, you know, told in the first person. Uh, talk about uh, immersing yourself in that kind of first-person narrative. Does that uh, require a different part of your writing psyche? And does, do you have to, like, kind of, when you're done with a Barbara Vine, especially a first-person novel, do you have, find yourself having to, like, uh, take a real break? And No, I don't have any problem at all with that. I don't, I don't even think about it. I'm just becoming the first-person person. Um, but as for a fatal inversion... I, 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 that house mm-hmm. um, was a house I lived in myself. I, I lived there in the countryside for 15 years, um, from the beginning of the 80s until a bit more than halfway through the 90s. Um, and, but, of course, as I think writers do this, it, it was that house, but it was enhanced. It, it had more beautiful things. My house is very nice. It had beautiful gardens, but... The, the, the house in A Fatal Inversion is enhanced. It has more beautiful things. It has that terrace with those those, those Greek gods and nymphs and people on, on the terrace and all this stuff. And it has fruit gardens. And, and, and um, well, I had the lake. I had the stream and all that. So um, I really described my own house with um, made more beautiful, more more um, uh, enticing, if you, if, if you like. And... Um, and so many of the things that happened um, in that book, the, the Koipu man and so on, they were real things. And I, I took the young people out there. Um, and uh, it, was, it was, I mean, I don't find writing easy anyway. So it was quite hard to get it right. I hope I got it right. But um, um, the, the, uh, the, the district and the, the neighborhood and the kind of people and, 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 and that were there, they were all there for me to write about. Now, um, I'd like to talk about your, your new book, um, The Vault, which is a, a new Wexford book. And it's kind of the, as I said, the second half of a coin with the uh, 
uh, a book from 1999, A Sight for Sore Eyes. And what's interesting to me is that this these two books approach um, the same people from very different perspectives. On, on one hand, we're in A Sight for Sore Eyes, it's one of your novels of psychological suspense, and it's immersed in madness and essentially for many of us, would read this as a straight-up horror novel. Not, no supernatural, but it's quite horrifying in, in what transpo- transpires and in the way that the people treat one another. Wexford, on the other hand, and in, in The Vault, we're coming at this from the other side. It's 10, 12 years later. And Wexford's this really humane man. So we have this kind of um, meeting of really unhinged badly raised minds with a man who's just a nice guy and smart and has to cut through a bunch of true mystery to find out what is what is why these things are under the ground well it is a sequel of course mm-hmm. it just follows on from um, and i thought it would be quite interesting to take uh, the the first novel which is uh, as you say um, uh, 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 not a police procedural in any way and follow it with one that is, with which, in which I brought Wexford in. It's almost bringing the reality into fantasy. Mm. Um, and like the Wexford should, should, Wexford should solve it. Um, and uh, I, I, of course, a lot of characters in the vault don't appear at all in mm-hmm. uh, 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 A or Eyes. And then, of course, I bring in the extra. There is one more body, so there are not three corpses in the vault before um, and the solving of that and also there is the um, again the social issue aspect of it in this case trafficking um, which uh, carries on the tradition of the recent Wexfords. Now um, as you um, have you ever considered doing this before following up on one of your psychological novels with uh, a Wexford or have you done this before in any way? No never Never. I just thought I would. Wow. So this came out. <laughs> this a lark after twelve years. You said, "Why did you pick a, a site for sore eyes?" Well, it's got to be one with an open end, so mm, to mm-hmm. speak. You've got to have something unsolved. And many of the Wexfords, for instance, or any of them, they, 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 they are not open-ended. Some are. But that one seemed to me... People had said to me that they, they, they had often wondered what would happen. Would it ever be open? You see, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But there is this, this, this hole in the ground, this cellar, this coal cellar, with, with a lid on it. And uh, people wondered what would happen. So I thought, well, we'll open it. And, uh, as of course, in the first chapter, this um, poor man opens it and thus gets himself all over the newspaper's front pages and ruins his life for at least for a long time. Mm. And, and that brings to, to mind one of the many themes of, of your books is this revelation of hidden crimes and family crimes and things that happen out of sight, and, and I think this is something you must think about a lot. You must drive by houses and look inside and say, "Who's tormenting somebody in there?" And that torm- and wh- what will that tormented person do some twenty years down the line that we'll all hear about? Well, no, I don't actually. I don't do that. I um, I lead my own normal life. Um, the there is a, the other side of me which is is writing about these things, but it is. It is not exactly real to me. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to describe this, but it is an unreal side. It is it is fiction. Mm. You see, 
I don't feel... I think if I felt like that, I would drive myself mad, wouldn't I? <laughs> I guess. It's a horrible thought. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you've got this set up with the, you know, three three bodies underground. And this is two. Um, one of the things I really like about this book is that the way you uh, reveal things, you know, hidden things coming up, creeping up out of the ground and, you know, the secrets being revealed, and I love the way that uh, Wexford has to kind of adjust. He's he's such an ordinary guy, and he has to kind of come to terms in this book for the first time with the 21st century. Oh yes, yes. Well, he's not like me in that way. Mm. Uh, he he's not uh, keen on technology as I am. No, uh, perhaps he will become so, but I, somehow I doubt it. He's. I mean, I, I have. I have many friends who are, well, uh, elderly people, I might say, and they turn their backs. They refuse to, to, to have anything to do with what I call the new technology. They don't want to have an iPod or a, a, an iPhone or a, 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 um, even a computer. They don't, they don't want to buy anything online or look things up online. Uh, they shy against it, and their wex is like that. Now, um, one of the things, too, that this book made me think a lot about is the different levels of victims of crime. And, and you mentioned this, that the man who unearths the bodies, uh, he himself is a kind of victim of crime, and so um, is Wexford and his family. And, and that. So there's uh, one of the things I really liked about this book <clears throat> was that we got a really complicated— it, it unfolded in a very straightforward manner. But as you reread this, and it's a, not a long book, um, we get a very complex and complicated and nuanced vision of crime and the way it affects us on all sorts of different levels. Well, yes, I suppose you do. And uh, um, I, I suppose I did. Um, I wanted to, um, well, of course, I wanted to bring Wexford back to King's Markham, and I wanted to bring in his family because I think that I like his family, and I, I want to keep him, him to keep us sort of abreast with all this stuff. And so it, it was a case this time of concentrating on his daughter Sylvia mm-hmm. and her behaviour, which of course Wexford doesn't like. He has always had problems with his daughters, but not very serious problems with them. I mean, he he I think he's been a very good father. And he, um, he he is much loved by his daughters, and and uh, I want to keep that going. And I can sense that he's also much loved by his creator as well. Yes, he is, because he's, uh, we've got a lot in common, you know. Um, obviously, he's me, up to a point. Now, one of the things, you're a member of the House of Lords. <clears throat> how long have you been a member of the House of Lords? And I'm wondering how much of that seeps into your fiction. And I'm thinking a fair amount, given that the how uh, socially and issue, issue-driven some of your novels are. Well, I've been a member of the House for 14 years, and I attend every day pretty well. Um, I mean, obviously, sometimes I'm away, well, not, not very often. Um, and uh, uh, I do go in every afternoon. We sit in the afternoons, you see, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm often there until the evening, quite late. Um, and I, I, I take part in debates. I, what, I, I, I attend committees and groups, and I, um, I, I, I vote. And I'm there, often kept there to vote. We are whipped. And, it, of course, it is 
every piece of legislation in, before it becomes a law must pass through both houses, the Commons and the Lords. And um, I'm, the, I'm there for that. It, um, uh, I, I have written one book about it, which is the Barbara Vine called The Blood Doctor. And uh, that, is, that is about the, 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 the time when the House of Lords got rid of its hereditary peers, or most of them. Um, some think it was a pity that he didn't get rid of all of them, but uh, it, it, there were difficulties in the way of that. Um, and uh, I have mentioned the house in other. In fact, it, it, it was mentioned in my um, in my my book um, before. Um, was it before this one? No, well, one other. It's um, it, it has been mentioned. It's been used. Been quite useful to me in that way. Um, you know. Uh uh, as a as a writer, one of the things you do very well is plot, and what you do, uh, the way you uh, manage your plot is by you know you plot by revelation, by um, revealing to the reader things. And I'm wondering if how much of these, uh, how many of these revelations are revelations to the writer as well as to the reader. And I think that must be a lot of them. Well, it could be. Because, uh, uh, largely because I don't know what I'm going to reveal. I think something had better be revealed, and I suddenly it suddenly comes to me that that would be a good idea. It, it, it's not, I fear, the, the, the um, hugely well-thought-out, carefully-considered, um, sort of sociologically-based, psychologically-based uh, 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 thing. It, it, it is something, a revelation, and I think, oh, well, that's a good idea. And that's how it happens. I'm one, you know, the with all the uh, way that uh, crime strikes so close to home in in the vault. Uh, I'm wondering if you were um, in the vicinity of or a victim yourself of crime, because the way uh, Wexford finds himself on the receiving end of crime is, I think, really interesting to to find to get his characters' reactions. And I think that uh, goes in many ways with this novel. Seems to turn your, a lot of your Wexford work and your psychological work upside down. It inverts it. Well, I'm not superstitious, but in saying what I'm going to say, I'm touching wood very firmly. I have never been a victim of crime. Oh, I once had a wallet taken out of my handbag on a station platform. That was about 30 years ago. I've never had any other. Mm. So... Uh when you do you talk to people who are victims of crime because I think no. you seem to you not dis- really I don't think so but I mean it, obviously the world we live in we know people who are victims of crime and people well some neighbours of mine were victims of some sort of awful burglary not long ago they talked to me but um, I don't really uh, 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 I wouldn't go out of my way to talk to people about crime mm. it will come to one in this world I'm afraid. And uh, I rely on that if need be. But of course, one has, I hope, an active imagination. Mm, a very. It, it's quite possible to imagine uh, a, a, a crime in in London, particularly. I think at the moment. One of the things I think that your books do, and and uh, I have often, uh, when I've read read your books, I've experienced them as much as horror novels, it's novels that create a sense of unease and fear and terror, as I do, you know, uh, novels of, they seem very realistic, they're socially realistic, they're psychologically realistic, but the sense of unease and terror is there. And I'm wondering um, uh, how, what you feel about evil. I mean, do you think that evil 
is something that exists in, in your fiction. Do you think that evil is something that exists outside of the characters or that it's always the result of something that happens to them? Oh, the, the latter. I don't believe that evil is a sort of um, disembodied entity thing um, about, no, people, are, people make evil. People are evil. It's people who do the wrong thing just as people are good. Um, and some, a mixture of both. But I don't, I don't, I think that people sort of get a bit hysterical about evil and they think that it is something out there that, that is liable to strike you or attack you. Or, but I don't believe that. No, some people are very, very wicked, very badly behaved, awful. And that they are, they are the source of evil. Um, you know, one of the things that's been interesting in the past few years, since the terrorist attacks, both in the United States and in Britain, we've, you know, our perception of crime, our perception of our environment, and our perception of those around us has, I think, radically shifted, and, and not for the better. And, uh, for example, we've got, we've become a lot more tolerant of, you know, um, here in America, we take our shoes off. You know, it's really kind of odd. And you can't bring a little you know, six ounce, five ounces of shampoo, okay, seven ounces, what not okay. What do you mean, okay. take your shoes off? Please come back to that one. Oh, well, if, when you go through an airport, you have to take your shoes oh, off. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, of course, I see. Yes, you do. I've just done that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and in the UK, you have a massive influx of surveillance cameras. We've gone to oh, a, yeah. become a much more surveillance uh society. Um, I'm wondering how you feel that influences both your perceptions of the society you live in and how it, if you think that's an effective reaction to what happened, and how it's, you think it's going to play out in your fiction as well. Well, I suppose it would if the occasion arose for it to be there. I mean, uh, if, I'm having, if, if I'm having somebody driving a long distance, he's bound to come across speed cameras in that sort of way. But I wouldn't do it otherwise. Um, um, Closed-circuit television and, 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 and that kind of thing. And in police work, they might have a photograph of um, uh, uh, somebody breaking into a shop. And, and, and that, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't do so otherwise. Um, I don't like it much, but who does? I think it may, in many instances it's necessary, in others it's not. But I, I see it as affecting my life, my real life, um, rather more than my fiction. <laughs> After all, fiction I invent, and uh, the fiction is, it comes out of my head. I don't have to have it if I don't want it. I see. Well, that well, that's an interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you can just edit out all that stuff because oh, it's yes, all. Oh yes, I can. I and I, I have these, these godlike qualities. You see, when I'm writing, very useful it is too. <laughs> I really like your approach to your fiction. You seem to be very aware of your uh, powers of creation. And, and when you're working on a novel, do you kind of uh, find yourself immersed in it? Or do you feel more like Walt Disney designing Disneyland? Oh, no, no. I'm immersed in it. Mm. And it's an interesting thing. I don't know whether this is interesting to you. But it's an interesting thing to me. But if, I'm, if, I'm, if I don't feel very well, I can still write. Mm -hmm. And I lose. I, for, I, 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 will, I will forget what, what's the matter with me. I mean, I have a headache or feeling ill. So I don't I very often get ill. But that would be it. And if I'm, if something is worrying me very much or making me unhappy, writing would take that away too. Temporarily, of course. Somebody or other said that 
the writer is the only, he said man, but it was the only free man. Because he has this recourse, everything can, can be written into, everything goes into the work. And it's only, when, but when you come back again, you sort of come round, so to speak, um, it, it, they will return. But while I'm writing, everything is gone but the writing. What's next for you as a writer? Do you, do you like, uh, rotate from, uh, in some kind of deliberate fashion, from Wexford to psychological to Barbara Vine, or do you just wait for uh, what strikes you as an inspiration? Well, I don't know about inspiration. That is a lofty word. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an idea for a plot. Um, I, I'm, get, I'm writing Barbara Vine now. I've, 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 I'm doing quite well. with. I think it's all right. I'm never brimming with confidence, but, but it, it's okay. And, and we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll, see, we'll hear more from Wexford, I, I hope. Oh, yes, one day. Yes, we'll certainly. Well, I don't think, as I think I said, think much about the future, but certainly Wexford will uh, um, come back again. He may again feature in a sequel, but I, I really haven't thought about that. But it is quite possible. I, I really like the sequel aspect of that because of the, that kind of collision between the unhinged fantasia of... Uh, a sight for sore eyes, which was like a, it was like a Louis Bunuel movie, or, or like a character, or a a, a movie experience scene of Louis Bunuel movie through the eyes of one of its characters, which is even worse. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> I, I, if it, if I don't know, I would have to think about which um, early novel was suitable. It mm-hmm. would have to be open ended again to have a, 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 a sequel to it. And I'd have to think whether I wanted to get into a habit of that. It might be better to have a, another one-off um, with Wexford back in King's Markham, um, giving some help perhaps to Burden if he was invited to do so. And, and well, you know, that's another, something we haven't talked about, and I want, do want to touch on that. Uh, you do have a retired Wexford now, and that puts it... One, that's. Uh, uh, you have a lot of fun with that, and he's constantly thinking of himself as he's not like Hercule Poirot and not like all these fictional detectives. And I, I really like that aspect of it, uh, to have a character who's aware of his own fictional counterparts. Yes, uh-huh. yes, I know what you mean. Yes, well, he is, of course, a fictional character himself, but he doesn't know it. There you are. Think about that one. (laughs) Um, I don't know what he will do next, but he will be. He will. He is not gone for years. People have said I was going to kill him, but you know I'm not. Um, At least I don't think so. Not yet. Uh, Perhaps one day. Perhaps one day. Um, But um, he will. He will reappear. Uh, I can't imagine. uh... Given the way you write about him, I just can't imagine you killing him. That seems uh, nonsense. Oh, I could kill him. Oh, I could kill any character. Uh, but I'm not intending to do so with him. No. Well, that's good to hear. I've been speaking... <laughs> <laughs> I've been speaking with Ruth Rendell. Her new novel is The Vault. Thank you for joining me, Ruth. It's been very enjoyable. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.